Hey, it's Brent from Burgundy Blog and Burgundy Blogcast. It's Monday night, December 9th. The NFL is presently wrapping up week 14. In fact, the Eagles and the Giants are at half right now on Monday Night Football, and Eli is taking it to the Eagles. This is my first recorded episode of the Blogcast in, I think, at least a month. You can attribute that absence to a combination of illness, anger, and apathy. To be 120% honest with you, I didn't really miss it too much. I spent the last several Sunday evenings watching other games, uh, reading books, and watching Christmas movies with my young family. All of those things represented, frankly, enormous upgrades to talking about the Redskins and editing the sound of my own voice. But here I am back again for you, primarily out of some strange sense of obligation, I think. And if that doesn't fire you up for this episode, then you might just be dead and cold. I do have a few thoughts to share, though, so here they come. I will be striving even harder than usual for brevity, since the Redskins organization is no longer deserving in any way of my time or yours. Prior to this game against the Packers, the Redskins, of course, were 3-9, and nine, and yet mathematically alive for a bid to the playoffs. As a realist and self-styled intellectual, I actually found that perverse and insulting. I'm grateful that the Packers put the Redskins out of their misery, and I only regret that the beating was not more savage. This, of course, represents merely a continuation of my season-long yearning, nay, bloodlust, for the embarrassment and humiliation of both Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder. I was, to be honest, at best, annoyed and at times devastated by the recent narrow victories over Jeff Driscoll's Lions and Kyle Allen's Panthers. Yes, the Redskins overall, and in particular the Redskins defense, has played harder and a little better over the past month for interim coach Bill Callahan. But no, I do not and have not believed that the cost of those wins, in terms mainly of at least potential or theoretical face-saving for Bruce Allen, and to a much lesser extent draft position, could be offset by any supposed confidence building in the young players, or worse yet, momentum, to supposedly be carried from this year into next year. In fact, I believe that those last two supposed benefits of meaningless wins in a dead season are pretty close to imaginary. And yes, I've had some intel, um, to which I've alluded on Twitter, coming indirectly through a prominent media member from a source very close to Dan Snyder, indicating that Bruce Allen's fate as team president going forward has indeed been hanging, suspended, in the balance over the course of this season, even up till and including these last few painful weeks. More specifically, that a strong finish could potentially save him, and that an ugly finish would likely do him in. And furthermore, that the hashtag FireBruceAllen sensation on Twitter has indeed been embarrassing and chafing Dan Snyder as we had hoped. So yes, that is why I have continued to unabashedly root for Redskins losses, again, in the name of future Redskins wins, more of them and better ones, bigger ones, meaningful ones, playoff ones. In case you somehow have not caught my drift prior to this, let me re-articulate that I have not been rooting against the Redskins out of pure hatred. I've been rooting against meaningless wins now in the confident belief that losses 
would be more likely to deliver us from Bruce and as merely an added side bonus to improve the Redskins' draft stock so that there might be, in the future, even the slimmest chance of the franchise recovering to viability and relevance. I was worried that the second and third wins might be counterproductive, and to be honest, I was a little worried, for at least a few hours, that the tenth loss was actually not convincing enough to be beneficial. But over the course of today, my angst has at least partially subsided. That's because my back-channel research so far this afternoon and this evening is in alignment with the smoke you have no doubt seen billowing up from numerous media sources over the last few days. The smoke from Bruce Allen's seat, thrown as team president, getting hotter and hotter, and now I think starting to ignite. That's right, the only whispers and rumors that I'm hearing right now strongly point towards Bruce being fired or removed from office very soon. It's almost surreal to say that out loud. And I certainly don't intend to take it for granted until it has been definitively confirmed. But my confidence is growing and my mood is improving. As of now, I do not know any more than that in terms of details regarding the new leadership structure or the identity of the primary decision maker after Bruce's ouster. And again, I'm not counting this chicken until it is hatched. But I do think within the next two weeks, and possibly even within the next two days, We are indeed going to be hearing some big news about changes to the Redskins' front office. Provided that these changes do involve Bruce completely leaving the organization, or at the very least being clearly designated as an exclusively business-oriented representative, I will obviously be overjoyed. But let me please quickly address those of you so fond of insisting that even in Bruce Allen's absence, the presence of Dan Snyder as owner will still in itself be prohibitive to sustained winning. Number one, I get your take, and it's not crazy. It might be true. It's entirely possible that for as long as Dan Snyder owns the Redskins, they will never be a legitimate Super Bowl contender or string together consecutive seasons as a very good team. It's entirely possible. He is, after all, one of the worst NFL owners to ever be an NFL owner. But here's my logic in placing some energy into hashtag fire Bruce Allen. Bruce Allen's continued activity as team president of the Redskins is or would be a deal breaker. Not only an impediment, but a a non-starter for Redskins' success. With him in that role, or in any prominent football decision-making role, the Redskins do not have any chance of being viable. The team president needs to have some football acumen to be successful. Bruce Allen does not have it, clearly, based not only on the team's record over his 10 years in power, but also more humiliating anecdotes than I can even count. And he's old, so he's not going to improve and develop it. Therefore, he has no chance of changing from a liability into an asset, and his presence prevents us from being satisfied fans. With Dan Snyder, as absolutely terrible as he has been in his role, for twice as long even as Bruce has been here, there's a key difference, I believe, and it is this. Being a good owner, or becoming a good owner, requires almost no ability. You can get there pretty quickly from zero. Certainly it would come down to Dan making a decision, an active decision and plan, that he has heretofore been largely unwilling to make and act on. That I am conceding. But Dan Snyder, going from total zero to total hero, as owner of the Redskins, could at least conceivably, at least theoretically happen in a few simple steps. Number one, Dan somehow hires, as Bruce's successor, a competent replacement. Somehow, most likely by luck. 
Someone who could successfully rebuild the Redskins' image and culture in his own image and for the hit to be a home run. Yes, I get it. I can hear you laughing. The likelihood is so, so slim of Dan Snyder successfully making such a hire. But I certainly think it's higher than the chance of Bruce Allen becoming an effective team president. So bear with me in this thought exercise. Dan catches lightning in a bottle and he anoints Kyle Schaefer, sorry, Eric Schaefer, or maybe Kyle Smith, or more likely and hopefully someone from outside the organization, like say perhaps a Lewis Riddick type. And if that individual should be a gem and set the right tone and identify the right head coach, then the only necessary second step for Dan Snyder's successful transformation is for him to get out of the damn way. That's it. It may seem unthinkable based on his two-decade resume as owner. And indeed, perhaps it is impossible. But it is an act of omission, not commission. It is possible. If, if he could just get it through his head. If he could be hypnotized somehow. Have an epiphany, a revelation. If he were to see his new mission spelled out, floating in milk, in his alphabets. Back off. That's all it needs to say in his bowl of soggy cereal. Back off. Stop meddling. Step away. Relinquish control. If he can somehow get the right guy in the right team, and then just back the hell away. It could happen. It could happen in Bruce Allen's absence. So that's why I care, friends. That's why I care, fans. That's why I cling to this slim, little, tiny branch of hope. Not some preposterous confidence or even optimism. Or obviously the idea of some stupid guarantee that if Bruce is gone, that things are going to be okay and that everything will get turned around. Of course not. Wake up. We're probably doomed. But if there's any hope of future episodes of Burgundy Blogcast not sounding like this dismal, bleak, excruciating one, if there's to be any hope of that, Bruce must be gone. And the Snyder Bridge is one we can cross together later when we come to it. Here's a quick surprise intended solely to disorient you. Terry McLaurin was drafted in the third round, and Matt Ioannidis was drafted in the fifth round. They're both going to make Pro Bowls. Plural. Bill Callahan sure does seem to have higher standards for hard work and discipline than his predecessor Jay Gruden did. And you sure won't hear me criticize him for that. But otherwise, he is absolutely awful. And if he somehow manages to keep this job, there's a pretty good chance I will go into social media hibernation for another 6 to 12 months. His calling card was supposed to be attention to detail, but his in-game coaching, especially clock management, is a disaster. After games, he is routinely unable to recall specifics about what just transpired. He's constantly admitting to not knowing things about his players' injuries, histories, even current whereabouts. His offensive philosophy is prehistoric, and his main goal is to keep every game super close by reducing the number of both teams' possessions. That's basically like when a small, scrawny kid tries to fight a big strong jock by starting off throwing sand in his eyes. Callahan has been gradually losing me since he took over. Then he really lost me when he practiced and played Monte Nicholson in the midst, in the active midst of one of the sketchiest situations in recent team history when it was very fresh and super ambiguous. And then yesterday he just made steam come out of both of my ears when he left Dwayne Haskins in the game even though he could barely walk. This has been an ugly, messy debate, I guess you'd say, on Redskins Twitter all day today. You got your tough guy fans who think that if a player can breathe, then he can strap it up and play. You got your amateur doctors 
We're somehow a thousand percent percent sure that Dwayne stood no risk of aggravating or worsening his sprained ankle by playing on it, or of sustaining a totally different and worse injury because of it. And then you got your people with common sense. Those are the people who see and acknowledge that even though Dwayne Haskins is very, very far from being the best player on the Redskins, he's undoubtedly the most important asset that they currently possess. He is the individual above all others on the roster or the staff whose development and eventual success or failure will most directly and profoundly influence the trajectory of the entire organization for the next five years. As recently as six weeks ago, his head coach was doing everything within his power to keep him off of the field, out of the action. His performance so far this season, even while healthy, has been mostly dreadful. And after he went down in the second quarter of yesterday's game, his inability to run correctly, to protect himself naturally, and to throw with proper mechanics was so blatant over the course of multiple offensive possessions that my eight-year-old daughter, who does not usually watch football with me because I love her, when she happened to walk into the room, literally asked me, Daddy, what's wrong with that guy? He had to throw multiple passes flat-footed, and he was stretching to make handoffs. P.S. The game was completely and utterly meaningless. Under this set of conditions, Bill Callahan, whose tenure with this team better not last another month, decided that Haskins, who, as far as I can tell, never even formally entered the blue medical tent, could really earn some gold leadership stars by gutting this one out. Bill Callahan absolutely risked the development of the team's most important asset in an unacceptable and unnecessary way for no meaningful benefit at all. It was about as bad a decision as he could have possibly made in that game. I am definitely done with him. I don't know who the next GM is, and I don't know who the next coach is. The one is going to depend on the other, or at least it definitely should. In other words, you could probably sell me on any of a few different candidates for both positions, but it is a very high priority for me that one be allowed to basically choose the other, or that they essentially come as a package deal. The number one problem, I think, with the Redskins organization over the past decade is Bruce Allen's inability to build a team. And a culture, even though he famously thinks his, of course, is damn good. Based on my personal direct discussions with numerous people who have previously been employed by the Redskins in various capacities, I understand that the organization runs mainly on a spirit of fear and self-preservation. That, of course, spells disaster for any company or collective effort. But if there's a second biggest weakness in the organization, or a 1A, I think it's been the disconnect between the levels of the front office and the senior coaching staff. Jay Gruden mentioned it numerous times while he was still employed here, first implicitly and then several times very explicitly toward the end. The head coach and the primary roster builder do not necessarily need to be and probably should not be the same person, but they absolutely have to share a vision. If they do, and if they are unified, if their vision happens to be smart, I believe, again, that there is at least a small chance that that could win out over Dan Snyder's cluelessness. But somehow this next regime absolutely has to function as one, or its efforts will be just as futile as the one overseen by Bruce Allen and the one by Vinny Serrato before him.